Welcome to the System Hub Podcast. Hola. Konnichiwa. Guten Tag. Where we interview world-class experts. You have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. I was fanatical in my 20s. If you could find a way to produce a business that works without you, your life would change like that. Extracting, organizing, and optimizing their best systems and processes for rapid business growth. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Business Systems Summit, and in this session, we'll be chatting with David Guest, who is the Director and Head Coach of Outcomes Business Group. He's been coaching for over 15 years, and prior to that, he was in sales and marketing for 10. Now, I came across David's work would be a good number of years ago. I was interested in Brad Sugar's work and having a look at Action International, and David was an action coach. Now, a lot has changed since then. He's collected a huge amount of experience. He's been working in business for over 20 years and has had 10 different businesses himself. So he's got a very diverse and intimate understanding of what it takes to be a successful business. Now, we were having a chat about what topic we were going to get him to talk about, and we bounced a few emails backwards and forwards because there really is so many different topics he could cover. But we thought, let's go really deep on his process for the way that he identifies talented team members. Like, what is the actual recruitment process because if you get this process right then everything else falls into place it's just one of those key central important components for building a business so it's with great pleasure that i get to welcome david to the business Systems summit thanks dave thanks very much for that too uh, nice introduction first of all i suppose i just wanted to sort of say thanks for this opportunity you know, you asked me to talk about systemizing the whole recruitment process and, and really this whole notion of, you know, finding and keeping good people. And it's, it's an interesting area because often for most people in small business, they don't see it as a high priority. You know, their priorities lie with actually sales and marketing or service delivery or profitability serving their clients. They very rarely think about, you know, can I systemize things like recruitment? We can systemize service delivery. It's fairly straightforward. We can even systemize our marketing and our sales process. But systemizing how I find and keep good people is a whole different ballpark. One of the real concerns is most people don't see this as a cost in their business. It's a hidden cost. And what I mean by that is if you look at anyone's P&L in business, when they're running a small business and they're the only person employed, you know, their, their, their P&L doesn't indicate what their major cost is going to be in the future, which is going to be wages. And anyone who has a team knows this, that the wage bill is usually the largest expense other than cost of materials in, in any business. So really, when we think about how much we invest in building our team and how much we invest, you know, just making sure that our team are trained, we don't often give it the same level of attention as we do to sales and marketing or service delivery. So just to give you an idea, you know, we, we would sort of look at recruitment and often people say, you know, just can't find good people out there. You know, and Brad, who's a good friend of mine, used to say, you know, in business, you get the people you deserve. And I think one of the issues is that people don't like that statement because what it does is it puts a big mirror straight in front of them in terms of, well, if I'm only getting sort of mediocre employees, what am I doing wrong? And that's, that's a really good question because I, I think ultimately people aren't investing the time that it takes to actually find and keep good people. So I suppose today I just wanted to talk through some of the processes that we use to find and keep good people and I know you had some questions around that so yeah I mean the first one that always comes to mind is when thinking about processes are these processes directly applicable to any business just around this recruitment process how transferable is this from one industry to another yeah great question 
Look, ultimately, every recruitment process is going to be slightly different. And what I mean by that is it really depends on what you're looking for because, you know, we might be looking for a very highly skilled specialist engineer or you might be looking for basically someone who's an administrative person and obviously depending on on the style of employment that we're doing or or the specialization is really going to determine what the best approach is but look the overarching I suppose system or infrastructure is the same it's just about sort of picking and choosing the components that are going to suit that particular role the best. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So if maybe we'll, we'll dive in. I'd love, yeah, for you to kind of take us through this sure. this process and no doubt I'll have some questions as we go. Okay. Look, probably the first, there's a couple of sort of blanket statements that I'll put out there about recruitment. Look, the first one is that everybody you employ will leave you. You need to think about this in terms of any employees that you have are going to leave. Now, they're either going to retire They're going to move on to another role. They're going to meet someone in another country that they want to move out to. So the underlying assumption is that we're going to be recruiting for the whole of our business life, which means we need to think of it in terms of something that's going to keep coming up. And unless we have a process or a system in place, it's always going to sort of catch us by surprise and it's going to put us in a very compromised position. The second part of this is really understanding the true cost of employment. And uh, one of the things, I think some people are aware of this, that if you employ the wrong person into a role and you only keep them for the probationary period of three months, you're still going to be out of pocket somewhere between fifty dollars and $150,000. Now, it sounds like a lot because most people only ever consider the wage component of paying that person. The truth of the matter is when you employ a new person into your organisation, there's some downtime for you or for their manager to actually train that person. There's some non-productive time for that person while they're actually learning the ropes of the business. And the other thing that occurs is opportunity costs, because when we employ the wrong person, that means we've actually filled the hole in our business with a person who may not be the best, the best producer for that space. So the opportunity cost is all the business or all of the, I suppose, productivity that we don't get while we have that wrong person in that role. Let's have a think about really what is the investment involved mm. in employing people, you know? And uh, here's the funny part. The, the average wage in Australia is around 70000 per annum. And when I ask people, how long do you expect an employee to stay with you? Typically, people will say anything between five and 10 years if they're the right person. So the first assumption is that we're only going to employ the right people. So five to 10 years of $70,000 means we're going to invest between three hundred and fifty and 700000 in wages in this person over their tenure with us. Now, when we start thinking about that level of investment, what we start to realize is that geez, we actually should probably spend some time doing some due diligence and some research before we put this person on. Now, what I find is people don't do that. uh, That's really interesting because I think people probably spend more time planning out their holidays, you know, where they're spending a few grand than it would be an investment where you're potentially spending close to half a million dollars. Correct, correct. So I suppose they don't see the enormity of the investment at the time and, and that's really only the cost of employment. If we look at the actual productivity of that person, you know, typically we, we look at the productivity of an employee as uh, three times their wage in sales or in revenue or in gross profit. So you can multiply that out to somewhere between one and two million dollars worth of potential for a business, depending on who that employee is. Yeah, when we look at it that way, you know, it's a, yeah. right. So if I said to you, Dave, we're going, we're about to invest a million dollars of your money, future earnings into a particular person, um, all of a sudden your, your view of how you go about recruiting that person will change quite significantly 
Because typically this is what happens. Most people do this whole thing of they wait till the last minute till they employ, so they hire fast. And then what they do is they keep trying to fix that person, so they fire slow. So, you know, it's actually the opposite of what they should be doing. We should be hiring slow and firing fast. We can't do that unless we have a system in place to make sure that we actually recruit the right way, number one, then we train the right way, number two, and then we identify non-performance early and we actually address it as soon as possible. So they're the key phases of, of the whole recruitment process and we'll just run through those as we go through this call. Perfect. So first question, Dave, what do you think is more important when employing, attitude or skill? I'd say attitude just because I feel like you can't, you can at least train up to skill. Yeah, so everyone knows this, right? Intrinsically, they say, you know, you can't train attitude, you can train skill. But if we look at the typical recruitment methodology and we look at an ad in the paper, what are they advertising for? The majority of advertisements are advertising for skills. They're talking about, you know, an engineer with a degree, with experience, with this, with that, with the other. And most of the ads are actually written to attract the person who has the right skill set. Interesting, yeah. Not thought of it that way. Yeah. Now, the same happens with job descriptions. Pretty much we're looking for the person that fits the job, okay? And sometimes we overlook the person and we really look at the skill set. So we say, what experience have you had in our industry or what experience have you had in this role? And it's really not identifying anything about the attitude of the employee because one of the hardest things to measure is attitude. You know, we can measure skill by looking at certification. We can measure skill by looking at, um, you know, putting someone on a computer and seeing how they operate a particular software program. But when it comes to attitude, it's a soft skill. It's a bit harder to identify. So if we think about this fact that we understand attitude is more important than skill, and for most people that I ask, well, how do you measure attitude? They come back with some pretty fluffy answers like gut feel. Mm-hmm. I get to sort of see if I like that person. And that's all fine. To me, it's not systematic. And when we talk about systems, one of the main reasons we want to have a system in recruitment is so it doesn't rely on my gut feel to employ people. We actually have a process that we can use to actually filter out the attitudinal sort of characteristics that we're looking for. So the process that we use in recruitment, we literally look at a process which is what's called a deselection process. And it's a bit weird and it's a bit unusual, right? But uh, in the main, what I find is that most people, when it comes to recruitment, have no idea. So what they'll do is they'll either put an ad in the paper and just you know, pick the best of um, a handful of applicants, which is sometimes the best of a bad bunch, or they'll go to a recruitment agency and that recruitment agency will then put a prospective, a prospective employee in front of them. The only concern I have with recruitment agencies is that their agenda is different to your agenda. They're in it to make a sale, which means they're going to find a candidate that they think will suit the role and then they'll pitch that candidate to you. So I understand they're in business, that's what they're supposed to be doing. But sometimes it's not necessarily the right candidate. It's just the only one that they can get their hands on. So I'm not suggesting we don't use it. Well, I feel like um, it's one of those core competencies, really, because the Mm. the team that you build is one of the most important things you do. So it almost, that you build. So it feels like something that you'd want to have a a core competency in and potentially bring in-house. That said, though, I suppose maybe once you you grow and and I suppose it depends on at the scale at which you're doing it, maybe not. I don't know. I still feel if you're growing quickly, then you probably want to have someone who's got dedicated to that role. Yeah. Look, large large corporations have the luxury of having a HR department, which uh, takes care of all of this for them. The issue we have with small businesses, it's it's really, it is a skill that is required. And if you don't have it, then you're going to either outsource it or you're just going to shortcut the process. 
So, you know, one of the things I'm really big on is, is making sure that that small business owner has some level of process so they don't have to become a recruitment guru. And that's really what we're going to run through today. Yeah, perfect. Cool. All right. So, so let's really talk about the process. Look, so to make it simple, if you think about recruitment, it's not that dissimilar to marketing. Okay. When we market our business, what we do is we, we put our brand out there, we put out uh, information about who we are, what we do, why we're better than our competitors, all those sorts of things. So it's almost like a fishing expedition. And we, we, throw our rod out, we throw our hook out there with some bait on it, and that bait is really to attract clients. Now, if we look at recruitment in the same way and say, well, we want to attract good employees, we don't want to find good employees. We want them knocking on our door rather than us having to go and search for them. We need to make our business attractive. There's an old friend of mine who, you know, interesting story. He, he was sort of single for many, many years and he, and he said to me one day, David, I really just don't know if I'm ever going to find the right girl. And my first question is, would you know the right girl if you saw her? And he said, well, you know, I'm, I've sort of got an idea, but I'm not really clear. And so the first exercise we went through was actually identifying in writing what he was looking for. Now, as where this parallels with recruitment is, for most people, they're not really sure what the ideal employee is going to look like, so they haven't defined it. And so the very first step before we go into any process is to make sure that you're clear on your organisation structure, your position contracts, your job description. So you pretty much know exactly who you're looking for from the point of view of skill set. The second part of this equation is to identify from an attitudinal point of view who you're looking for. And it sounds a bit weird, but the first step in recruitment is to actually be clear on the business's vision, mission and culture so that we can understand or we can convey what we're looking for in terms of how the team member would fit. And so those early days are really sort of quite significant because when we talk about hiring slow, what I actually mean by that is we, we have to invest the time to build a picture of the business that's going to attract the right kind of candidate. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, I almost yep. feel, I know, I know you said um, this is even before that process. This feels like that first step in the process, getting super crystal clear on who you are yep. and also who you're looking to attract. Yeah. So some people in small business see vision, mission and culture as soft, fluffy stuff. In this scenario, really, before we go to market to find these team members that are basically you know, an investment of anything between half a million and, and maybe even two or three million, I find that to attract high-caliber people, you need to be attractive to those high-caliber people. So going back to the story of my friend, what he did is he wrote this list of all these attributes of this perfect girl, and he said, here you go, I've got it, I've defined the perfect candidate. So my next question was the one that floored him, he said, and I said to him, if you were walking down the street and that girl was walking the opposite way, would she be attracted to you? Because what this does is it changes the focus on, is my business going to attract those high-level candidates? Because if, they, if your business is not attractive to those high-level candidates, they're not even going to respond to your advertising, let alone get through your process. So that's really the first step, Dave, in um, identifying, excuse me, in identifying you know, who these people are. We need to actually define it, and we need to make sure that our business is now attractive to that calibre of person as well. Yeah, I like that. It's I think it, it puts the onus back on you, the company owner, to then put it back into your court as far as something you have control over as well. Like yep. you, you very much have control over the way that you're presenting. So anything that does that as opposed to put it outside of you and something that you don't have control of is definitely, I think, the right step forward. Yeah. Yeah, so what happens is the, the first part of recruitment is making the business ultra-attractive to the high-caliber candidates. Now, 
this is also going to open a can of worms because when your business becomes attractive, not only are you going to attract high caliber candidates, you're also going to attract low caliber candidates as well, right? And so this is where the deselection kicks in because if all we did was make the business very attractive, we'd be inundated with inquiry. We'd be having all sorts of people, you know, applying for jobs, you know, and they may or may not have skill set, but they might just fall in love with the story. So that's the first part of the equation is to make the business attractive. The second part is how do I create a filtering mechanism that actually leverages my time? Because the small business owner has probably got one overarching problem that a corporation doesn't have, and that's that they're wearing so many hats. So we really need to be conscious of the level of... Um, effort that is required to go through this process or you'll end up shortcutting it. So let's talk through that next stage. So once we've defined who the business is, why I would want to work there, and I suppose even defining the role as well, now we can go to market. Now, often when people go to market, they'll, they'll use the standard channels, they'll go through Seek, you know, they, they might even use um, Indeed or they might use uh, Gumtree or, or, or they might even just go through the local recruitment agency. So this is where the difference between going for a general sort of easily easily fulfillable role versus someone who's highly specialised. Because if we're going for, say, a high, highly skilled engineer or a doctor or someone who sort of, in most cases, is not looking for work because they're probably employed, the strategy is slightly different. But we're going to talk through the full strategy, which means the underlying assumption is we're employing people that are readily available. And then I'll explain how we sort of amend it to, to adjust for these highly skilled people. person. Okay. Now, office administration, fairly easy role to fulfill, fairly low skill set required, which means there's probably going to be a lot of people who can actually take on that role. So when we put an ad in, in Seek or when we put an ad in whatever channel we're going to be using, what we want to do is we want to actually minimize the dependency on skills and we want to maximize the attractiveness based on the company and where it's going. So we want people to join us because they love what we do, not just because they have the skill set required to do the job. And how we do that is we make sure that uh, when we put the ad together, not only does it reflect the minimum requirements for skills, but it also paints the picture or tells the story of the company and where it's going. So there has to be a bit of brightness of the future in there to actually get people excited about applying for this role. Now, the side effect of doing that is that we're going to probably get a lot of response. And for most small business owners, that terrifies them because they're busy enough without having to take all these phone calls or read all these resumes. Now, when it comes to resumes, remember when we started the conversation, we talked about this whole idea of attitude trumps skill. Now, they're both important. It's just that I think that attitude is something we need to measure first because that's a thing we can't change where with skill, we can always adapt to that. So then what we do is we get this ad in the paper, we make sure that uh, it's attractive, we make sure that it's getting good inquiry, and what we need to do is rather than taking those inquiries directly or reading resumes, now we need to have some sort of filtering mechanism. Now, if we've got a good rush of inbound inquiry, we can create this um, deselection criteria, and what I'll use is, because when, when it comes to measuring attitude versus skill, so skill we can measure through tests, skill we can measure through certification, the only way that you can measure someone's attitude is to ask them to do something and observe how they respond to your request. Because without asking someone to do something, I can sit in an interview one-on-one -on -one and ask the typical interview questions and the majority of people know what the answers need to be to make me happy. So they give me answers based on what they expect me to hear. That's fine and well, but if I do that and I go through an interview, I'm going to say the interview went well. And then when I employ that person, I'm going to try and 
justify or substantiate why there's such a difference between what they said during the interview and how they're behaving in the workplace. So if we know behaviour really uh, is going to tell us everything about someone's attitude, through the recruitment process, we need to give people tasks to do, we need to observe their behaviours, and then we can ascertain the attitudinal side of their of their skill set, uh, of, of the person as well, that makes sense. Yeah. So at this stage then, because we've gotten clear on who the person is and made the company yep. attractive, then we've yep. run an ad that's attractive to that person. We start to get the flood of inquiries for that. And then yep. the next step is yep. a, a filtering process, hopefully something that's not yep. very time-consuming. Exactly. So, so in simple terms, there's two or three phases that we do next. And I'll talk through this with the... With the Keep in mind, we're going for the job that's easy to fill and then we'll describe how it works for the other side as well. So rather than taking phone calls or accepting resumes, because what that does is puts all the workload on my shoulders. I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask people who reply to this ad to actually go to a voicemail and I'm going to ask them to answer three questions on the voicemail. Interestingly enough, this already knocks out about 50 to 70% of candidates because for some reason they think that they don't have to do what I've asked them to in the ad. They just send their resumes through and hope that their resume is so substantial that I'm going to be chasing them. Now, remember what we want to do here is what we want to actually do is, is we want the candidates to demonstrate how hungry they are for the job, not come in with an attitude of I'm the best you're going to find and therefore you should be chasing me. So it's all about the prize positioning aspect of this. So when we put the ad in and it actually sends them to a voicemail, what would be fine? Inevitably, you're going to get 50 to 100 resumes that are emailed to you, even though the ad says, don't send your resume, ring this number. Now, I don't know why that happens, but it does. <laughs> Click happy people, probably. <laughs> well, it still astounds me to this very day because we've done this for some fairly highly skilled roles where those people need to be sort of on the phones. They need to be articulate. So they technically should be reading these ads. I think what happens is there's a lot of automated responses that are going on and people are really applying for jobs on volume. So they're really not reading the, ad, the ads at all. What they're doing is just hitting the apply button, and which is fine because already what you're telling me is you're not that interested. You haven't bought my story. All you're doing is you're applying because the ad suits your skill set. And so this first level of self-elimination is quite interesting because it actually dumps you know probably 60 to 70% of candidates straight off the bat. Now, this is just the beginning of the process. The second step is then, if they're going to a voicemail, big plus of this is it's an equal playing field. And what I mean by that is that everyone who's calling is hearing the same message from me and they're leaving a voicemail in response to that message. Now, you imagine when you're, when you're taking calls from candidates all the time and you might be sort of, you know, you might have nothing on today, so you spend more time with the candidates to call during the day. Some of them call just as you're about to walk into a meeting, so you're sort of pretty abrupt or short with those people. So you're trying to remember how you communicated with each person where chances are that you're probably going to have a very subjective view of each of those conversations. So by using a voicemail system, it, it actually provides consistency of message to prospective candidate. It also allows me to listen to a recording of what they said in response to those questions, which I can then share with someone else within the organisation and say, what do you think of this person? Now, when someone's hearing a voicemail that I've heard, it's exactly the same message. So there's no sort of a, a conversation going on here. It's all about creating a, a level platform. So the voicemail system is interesting and it also forces people into this process of, of actually applying for the job. I quite like it as well because it's something that 
that initial wave of filtering could very easily be delegated. They're still getting the message from you, but because it's recorded, you could pass that to another team member where it makes sense and say, okay, well, here are the things I'm looking for. Can you give me the short list of the top 10 I should be chatting with? Correct. So, so what it means is that we can now systemize that whole part of the recruitment process without the owner having to touch anything other than create the first recording. The actual initial assessment of the, of the answering machine responses can be done by somebody else. Now, in the initial sort of, I suppose, listening, the first thing we're looking for is did they answer the questions? And the second thing, ironically, is can I understand this person? And probably the most critical one is, is this the kind of voice that I want representing my organization to all of my customers and all of my suppliers? We're really looking for a few things before we even talk to this person. And by getting them to follow our request, it's not really, it really is testing their attitude towards, you know, the application process. So that's the first wave of elimination. And, and we sometimes call that the first hurdle. The second hurdle becomes a bit more interesting because if we've got a lot of candidates, we will go for what's called a group interview. If we've only got a handful of candidates, we might shortcut the group interview and go straight into the um, initial interview process. So we'll, we'll stick with the sort of full process and then you'll understand how we can eliminate certain components. Now, if I was, a, if I was putting an ad out there for, um, say, a high-level person, which is highly skilled, chances are I'm not going to get inundated with response. So in that scenario, sometimes the voicemail isn't going to work, especially for people who are back office kind people, kind of people who are not used to using telephones or don't communicate well. I would use the same process of asking questions, but I'd do it via a cover letter. Instead of saying, send your resume, I'd say, send your resume with a cover letter with a response to the following three questions. Either way, unless I can get that candidate to do something on my request, I'm relying on some generic information coming through. Yeah, it's a filtering process. It's really about getting that sort of first elimination done so that I'm not wasting my time talking to people who are the wrong candidates for the role. The next phase of the process is when we move into this, um, this notion of group interview. Now, for most people in small business, they have never experienced or seen group interview, but McDonald's have been using group interviews from the day they started. And one of the reasons is because it's leveraged. And when we talk about leverage, what we're saying is Group interview allows me to interview anything between five and 50 candidates in one sitting. Now, sometimes people are fearful of, well, how can I judge everybody in such a short period of time? And just to explain the process, I'll just use a quick metaphor. Now, imagine there's a geology teacher standing at the front of his classroom and in front of him he has a black velvet bag. And in that bag, he's got 99 cubic zirconias and one diamond all around the same size. He says to everyone in the class, if you can identify the diamond within 60 seconds, you get to keep it. So by the end of the class, everyone's had a go. No one's been able to identify the diamond. And they all just say it's impossible. 60 seconds is not enough time to analyze each stone in that bag. He comes back to them and says, look, I'm going to show you a way that anyone off the street could actually pick that diamond out in less than 60 seconds. Start the clock. So the students start the clock. He unfolds the bag and puts it neatly on the table. He takes every stone out and puts them in a 10 by 10 grid all facing up the same way. He takes the desk lamp off his desk and he shines it on all of the 100 rocks at the same time. What do you think he sees? The diamond sticks out like a sore thumb. Excellent. So sometimes uh, it's as simple as that. When we run a group interview, we're looking for the diamond in the rough, right? And it's much harder to interview people serially and then remember which one was the best candidate because there's so many dynamics in the interview process unless you're a professional. So by doing the group interview, we're actually simplifying 
the identification process, not complicating it. And until you run one, you don't understand the dynamics of that, okay? Typically, when we do work with someone in recruitment, we'll actually run through this whole process with them. We'll provide all the templates so they can get it done because once people go through a group interview for the first time, there's no going back. Now, the reasoning behind that is that once you see how easy it is to actually pick out the diamond out of the group, what you start to realise is that the real problem is that I don't have enough candidates applying for this role as opposed to I have too many candidates applying for this role. So it's a simple process again. It's about elimination because by having all those people come in, what I'm looking for is did they show up on time? What were they dressed like when they showed up for the group interview? What was the dynamic between them and the other candidates? All of these sort of telltale signs about attitude are just glaringly obvious when you actually put people under these sort of in, through a process like this. So we use group interview and once again, we're looking for a culling of or a deselection process. So we're looking for people to actually opt out by actually either their behaviour or by voluntarily saying this is all a bit much for me. But there's a side effect to doing all this as well, Dave. And what happens is that this, these candidates, as they go through this process, are starting to get pretty excited because now they're competing for the role visibly. And so it's not about you desperate to fill a role in your business. It's about this person is in a competitive environment to win. And so when they do get through the whole process, they're usually pretty motivated. What, what happens then is we start moving back to more traditional processes. So if we've shortlisted to the diamonds out of the room, we'll now be looking at ways to one-on-one -on -one interview with those people. We'll introduce something like a test drive because I'm not a fan of just having a verbal meeting with somebody. I think it's important to actually get them to demonstrate the skills that are required for the job in an in-situ sort of environment. So we would design a test drive, a way of, of testing that person's skills. And I suppose really what we're trying to do is we're trying to minimise the, the chance of employing the wrong person by getting them to understand as much about the company, the role, and the actual specific skill sets that are required as we're going through this process. That sort of covers it in a nutshell. There's a few other bits and pieces around that, but they're pretty standard. That's like which questions to be asking at an interview. It's going to be about you know doing reference checks. It's, it's all about that sort of stuff. But I, I think the key message today, Dave, is that most people underestimate the cost of employment and so they don't have a process and they don't actually follow this process because they look at what we've just described as being outside their comfort zone, bigger than Ben-Hur, only something that a corporate would do. But if you think about the true cost to a small business of actually employing the wrong people versus employing the right people, it's worth every minute that you invest in building a system like this. Yeah, and it feels like as well something that probably the first few stages is something that another team member could potentially run as well. Like up the business Absolutely. owner maybe gets involved in, in the running of the ad or as far as crafting the ad, but then that initial yep. filtering process, getting them to join in on the group interviews, all of that administration beforehand is is not probably the best use of the business owner's time. So it's, it's yeah, it's, it's quite an efficient way to recruit and the more people that you put into the top of this process and use the filtering process, the more likely you are to get a really a great candidate. Yeah. And, and if you recall what I said right at the start of the conversation is that every employee you have will eventually leave. When you, we build a system like this, what it means is we can just crank the handle when we need to replace somebody, which means the ad's already written, the whole structure exists, and uh, we can actually just say to one of our employees, you know, we need to replace that role, put the ad in. And the next thing you know, they're going, great, we have a group interview organised for you on 5 o'clock at 5 o'clock on Wednesday next week, and all I need to do as an owner is rock up to that, and the rest of it's all taken care of until that part of the process. So the, the thing here is really, you know, it's that whole notion of higher slow. 
have a process that actually gets the candidates to prove themselves, have a, um, a process that someone else within the organisation can run and without being subjective about it. So it's, it's about just following the process and that's why I prefer deselection because if I asked one of my employees to say, what do you think of that person as an employee, I'm throwing all the risk on them. Whereas what we really do is we just run a process and the employee, uh, the potential employees deselect themselves and it sort of it answers the question for us. Yeah, fantastic. And I think, I mean, this whole process, this is just the identifying and then there's processes and procedures for onboarding, starting someone, getting them into the organisation to making sure that they understand their role. So I'm hoping this just gets someone thinking about the right things and thinking about how to structure a process. Um, in, yep. in the tail end, I know this is this is what you do. You help businesses and business owners yep. put these sorts of processes and procedures in place. If people wanted to find out a little bit more about what you guys do, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, look, probably is just, just to go to the website, outcomesbusinessgroup.com.au. Just reach out to either myself or one of the team. We've just talked about, as you, as you described, the first half of the process because once we've picked the right candidate, then we need to go through induction. And induction needs to be the same level of systemization as we've just described. There has to be processes in place to make sure people are being inducted correctly, that they understand all the different milestones that they actually have to achieve in their first 90 days. This just really helps in defining whether that person is a right fit and what skill sets need to be added to that person as well. And then we've got retention, uh, and retention is the next part, which we probably won't even have time to talk about today, which is really how do you make sure that person is always at their peak of their game, um, they're always in that career mode where they're actually looking at how to improve their skills and their performance, and that's another process as well. So, look, Dave, I suppose there's so much we can talk about in terms of recruitment uh, in such a short period of time. Look, if anyone's got some recruitment issues, because... My, my, my underlying understanding after being in this game for nearly 20 years is that inevitably the thing that stops people from scaling their business the most is finding and keeping good people. So it really does become a focus for us because in the end, you put the right people on the bus and the bus is in the right seats as well and the business will grow itself. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think um, we might even, I'll chat with you offline maybe about doing a, a part two and a part three potentially as, as some podcasts through to the, the System Hub community because this stuff's really, really valuable and it's great to see mm. you, you are a systems thinker and having these systems and processes tested in different businesses, they're invaluable. So very much appreciate your time and, and being very generous sharing that, that process with us just been listening to the system hub podcast remember we've documented this system for you so you can literally swipe and deploy it within your business head to www.systemhub.com forward slash podcast to download it now